0: Kind of strange weather patterns the last three or four weeks. We have all week long beautiful weather come Friday night. Wow. Last night was nasty. For the first time since we've been on the internet, I was going, why is anybody here? Just listen to the internet. It's... <clears throat> The title of this message is Anger Without Cause. Uh, well, my entire ministry has been trying to show the continuity between the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant. To show that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he doesn't change, that the commandments that he spoke in the Tanakh are the same, same flavor as the things he spoke about in the New Covenant, that Yeshua didn't do something new but fulfilled what was spoken about thousands of years earlier, he brought the salvation we hoped for. Today, I want to continue in that vein with a portion of scripture that is difficult. Most people would like to live in peace and security surrounded by love. I think that that covers the vast majority of human beings. The ones who don't believe that, we section off into little places and we put them there so they won't bother the rest of us seriously uh if that's not the way you want to live we we make communities for you behind razor wire and we incarcerate you if if all you want to do is hurt people the rest of the rest of society says well okay do it in here now sometimes we go about seeking peace security love in the wrong way and so the end result is actually contrary to our desires. In our society today anger and rage have infested virtually every level of our society from the top down from government down to everyday personal interaction. It's very similar to the days of which was predicted 2000 years ago. Violence fills the earth. Anger resentment it's it's palpable you every time you turn on the news you hear about it we're in a bad place and the body of Messiah is not immune We like to think of ourselves as above the fray but in reality quite often the body of Messiah is right in the middle of the, the fray I have noticed I've been affected by the anger, the violence that surrounds me. I'm I'm not an island. I'm not insulated from these things. They have an effect. I spent much time in circumspection this week. The word circumspection simply means to engage in deep thought. That's all it means. In the context of Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 16, it speaks of Engaging in deep, walk circ- circumspectly. Be in a great deal of thought about yourself. Reevaluating your life, your situation, your current condition, your responses to stimulus, etc. Be aware of why you do certain things. Find those places you are deficient and then seek to fix them. Today I want to look at a portion of scripture that is somewhat ambiguous and has produced a great deal of discussion, sometimes argument. Sometimes the discussion and the argument has produced the very thing we're told not to do, anger. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 and 22. Yeshua makes a series of statements which I want to exegete, I want to analyze, I want to give a background to so we understand what he's saying. His first statement, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and that whoever commits murder is in danger of judgment. Okay, so if you commit murder, there's, there's a strong possibility you will be brought before the Sanhedrin, tried, you're going to be judged. Yeshua then expands this understanding. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he has a little formula. You have heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you, dot, dot, dot. And he clarifies the statements that they have heard that other people have made on Torah. All right? First century, same as today. We have people who come to pulpits and pontificate and give their opinions on what the Torah meant. And at the fullness of time, the author of Torah came down and told us what he meant. Sometimes it was the same. Sometimes it was quite different. But we now have been given, like a friend talks to a friend face to face, we've been given the author's point of view. And it's strangely sometimes we argue with the author. That's not what you meant. Kurt Vonnegut tells a hilarious story. He was at a conference that was featuring Kurt Vonnegut, and he was walking around on the floor, and he heard a discussion, and his name came up, and this guy was telling him, telling his his friends, what Kurt Vonnegut actually meant, and Kurt Vonnegut said. No, that wasn't it at all. And he said, and the guy didn't recognize Kurt Vonnegut. And he started to argue with Kurt Vonnegut on what Kurt Vonnegut wrote in the book that was written by Kurt Vonnegut. Anyway, it gets out of the complicated, but you, you catch the idea. Yeshua, the author of Torah, came down and told us. And we sometimes argue with him. And so Yeshua's second statement, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be judged. Yeshua will reiterate this in Matthew 7, verse 2, for with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged measure for measure. It will be measured unto you. When we judge others, however you judge, the Lord will take those words and bring them right back to you and judge you in the same fashion. It is designed to make us cautious when we pronounce a judgment on someone else. Now this was understood by the ancients of my people. In the Talmud, in the Mishnah, the repetition of the law, it states that, and this is a fascinating series of of statements in a discussion. It states that a, a Sanhedrin who executes one person in seven years is considered bloodthirsty. Now understand that the Torah has a number of capital offenses where people are to be stoned or suffocated, and it was a horrible method of suffocation. Trust me, I won't say the mechanism, but it was bad. There was beheadings, there was stonings. There was a a number of ways to execute depending on the nature of the crime. Even the breaking of Shabbat carried with it a death penalty, but of course, Right after the first Shabbat, if everybody who broke the Shabbat was stoned, there'd be nobody left to follow the Shabbat the next week. I'm not being facetious at all. There isn't a single human being on the face of the planet, with the exception of Yeshua, who has ever kept a Shabbat. And if you follow that death penalty, who's left? Tevye makes a reference to this in Fiddler on the Roof. If we followed the Torah with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, muzzle-tough, everybody would be blind and toothless. <laughs> I mean, this is understood. In fact, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel, showed extreme gay, uh, grace and mercy in its judgments. If a person is guilty of a capital offense and he was found unanimously guilty by the council, by the judges, he was set free. In our jurisprudence, you have to have a unanimous, unanimous decision to, make, to carry out the execution. In the Sanhedrin, if there was a unanimous decision, it was thrown out. Why? A unanimous decision carried with it the possibility of collusion, that the judges had discussed the case beforehand and already decided that this person was guilty and it's thrown out. Mermonides explains why such a counterintuitive kind of judgment would be rendered and actually pronounces one of the foundational stones of American jurisprudence. He writes, it is better and more satisfactory to acquit a thousand guilty persons than to put a single innocent one to death. The way our legal system was explained to me when I was in school was it is better to let nine guilty men go free rather than convict one innocent man and whenever we find someone who has been wrongly convicted we as a society compensate him sometimes in extreme ways for the time he was incarcerated because there's a collective guilt that is felt Yeshua's next statement and whoever says to his brother Raqqa shall be guilty before the council, before the saint The word raka is a very derogatory statement, meaning empty one, as in a person devoid of any good qualities, a good for nothing, a ne'er do well, as uh, my favorite saying, uh, how often does he do well? Ne'er, he ne'er do well. It, it's, I. I don't know why I find that so humorous, but it, it's hilarious. It can also mean empty-headed. We have a phrase for that, airhead. It's very popular in the 60s, trust me. Unknown to me, I declared a lot of people to be raka, airhead. In fact, I was raka. The most of the sixties. Just floating around out there. Now if you pronounce Raka, you're not in danger of being judged. You've already been judged according to Yeshua's words. You've been judged and you've been found guilty. Is the trial's over. You just pronounce somebody to be devoid of any worth. Why is the guilty sentence pronounced? Why is it so serious? No matter what that person did, he was made b'tzilim in the image and the likeness of God. He's got a soul, a divine soul with him, within his, in this container, and that soul has a worth. What was the worth of the? The Torah sets the price on a man's soul. It's half a shekel of silver. The half shekel tax that was given to the, to the temple, the author of Hebrews says, almost everything is atoned for by blood, right? Here's one thing that is not atoned for by blood. Everyone 20 years and older will give a half shekel of silver to the temple For the atonement of his soul. Why? 20 years and older you're eligible for military service and in military service you're going to kill. You're going to have to take lives. Many times that was at the order of Hashem himself. If we didn't take the life, we were in sin. We see that throughout Israel's history when God tells us to go to war, and we say no, and then we have a plague come. But even though Hashem says to do it, there still has to be an atonement for that soul that you kill. Because that soul is worth something. And God set the price, a half shekel of silver. And it was to give it to the temple for the atonement of your soul. It's a uh, rather fascinating concept, uh, I think. Even when God tells you to do something, there are times when there still needs to be some kind of sacrifice, some sort of offering made. So by your own words, when you pronounce raka, you worthless, you empty individual. That's a big sin. And you've already been judged guilty. <laughs> I'm sorry. His next statement. And whoever says, you fool, which in Hebrew one of the words, and the one that Yeshua is referring to is kasil, shall be in danger of hellfire, which is God's judgment seat. It, it doesn't refer to the Sanhedrin there at all. Sanhedrin had no ability to send a man to hell. That's That power resides only in one place, God. Fool means one thing in English. In Hebrew, the word kasil has a number of meanings, some literal, some implied. It means fat, silly or childish, stupid. Now there's a difference between ignorance and stupid. Ignorance can be fixed with a little bit of knowledge. You're, you're, you don't have the knowledge so you can ignorantly do something that'll cause harm. Stupid is you know and do it anyway. The example in Torah is the ax head that's loose. If you don't know it's loose and it flies off and it kills somebody, you know, you're, you're not subject to a judgment. It's an accident, things happen. If you know the ax head is loose and you go ahead and use it anyway and it flies off and kills someone, now you're guilty, right? That makes sense. Now with, with what you sure has just laid out, I'm personally unaware of anyone who has not been guilty of making one or more of these statements that he said, refrain from. Frankly, it's hard for me to get through a day without making one of these statements. One morning during this week, and you know, I'm preparing this message and I'm studying Qasil, Raqqa. And I'm over here by myself, I get over here real early in the morning and I spend a few hours and then I come b- back and, and I, I want to eat and Mary is studying up on all the stuff that's going on in the world and tells me about it as soon as I get there. <laughs> and she told me that uh, in California they're thinking about raising the minimum wage to $50 an hour. My response was similar. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, What why? Why would you do that? It's still minimum wage. The number is irrelevant. Your place on the ladder is exactly the same place at fifty dollars an hour or a dollar and a quarter when I started in at minimum wage. It was a dollar and a quarter. But of course a dollar and a quarter would buy five packs of juicy fruit. 125 pieces of bazooka bubble gum. Five large portions of french fries. The number is irrelevant. You still have, and the word stupid kept coming into my mind, but I had just finished stunning this and my brain is internally hemorrhaging it's like say it no don't say it say it and this is what's going on inside of me and and praise god i actually refrained from using the word stupid and i was i was somewhat speechless i i had nothing to to really say i mean and you just go on with the rest of your life and you come back and you immerse yourself in the Word of God again, because it's weird out there. It's really hard not to sin when you're out in the world. I, I, I don't know if you think of these things the way I do, but it's easy to be holy, studying the Word of God early in the morning before you have spoken to anyone. It gets dramatically more difficult as the day goes on and you start meeting people. The truth of the matter is God's Torah has locked up all men on sin and if we count on following Torah to justify ourselves before God, we have failed before we have taken the very first step. There are a lot of people who are talking about being Torah observant these days and I am... I am almost without words on how to, to refute this. Without grace or mercy, I am well aware. I have no shot at getting into heaven. Period. End of line. It is not a false humility. It's an actually an accurate statement. Without God showing me grace, I will be in outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth The Lord says, He will show more grace and mercy to those who show grace and mercy to others. And I believe that. I believe that like I'm sitting here at this pulpit. And so I seek to be merciful, not judgmental towards others. And many times I succeed. Sometimes in weakness, I don't. Then I have to repent. Let's look at the textual controversy surrounding Matthew 5. The primary discussion stems from the fact that there is no single document from which the New Covenant is translated. There's a multiplicity of codices, some of them complete, some of them partial, that exist, and the New Covenant is an amalgamation of much of these codices. And they were assembled between the years actually preceding the year 200 all the way through 500 CE. Some include words that others didn't. Some excludes words that others didn't. We even have a fragment of a Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. Germain to this discussion are the words "without cause." The new, uh, the King James version, and a, f- a number of others, translates Matthew chapter five verse twenty-two from a codex that includes the words. This is the phrase: "Everyone who is angry with his brother, without cause." Dot dot dot. New American Standard, and many of the other modern translations do not include the words without cause. Now, I'm going to quote from two of the Church Fathers to isolate and define the issue. Jerome writes in his commentary on Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Everyone who is angry with his brother, in some codices, the words are added without reason. But in the authentic text, at least according to Jerome, the judgment is definite and anger is completely taken away. Since the scripture says, whosoever is angry with his brother. For if we are commanded to turn the other cheek to one who strikes us and to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us, every pretext for anger is removed and therefore the words without reason should be erased. And he then goes on to quote James chapter 1, verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness or the justice of God. That is a well-reasoned argument. But Jerome's understanding that Yeshua completely removes all allowance for anger Makes Yeshua's statements more than simply difficult; makes them impossible. It's never going to happen. Frankly, the first one to get angry in Scripture was who? God. In Genesis, in Genesis three, he expelled, he's angry with man, and he expels him from the garden. In Genesis chapter six, he's so angry with man that he wipes out through a mikvah, a baptism. All human life, save that of Noach and his family. Pretty angry. In Genesis 12, when he told the uh, humanity, be fruitful, multiply, and scatter, fill the earth. And humanity came together on the plains of Shinar and said, no, nah, we don't really want to go anywhere. You know, and we built a tower that reached into the heavens, quote, least we be scattered. So we're fighting against God here. God gets angry, confuses our language, and he scatters us to the four winds. In all of these cases, God is angry, but let's leave him out of this discussion. You can't argue with God when he's angry because he's God, one of the perks. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov all were angry at some point during their lives. Moshe was very angry with Israel many times during his life. The prophets, they, they were all angry at Israel, at other nations who surrounded Israel. I mean, I love Jeremiah. You made me a man of contention to everybody I meet. Can't you give me a good joke? something to lighten up this message a little bit. He he was hated by everybody he spoke to, because why? He spoke the word of God, who was angry. Were the fathers, Moshe, the prophets, were they all in sin because they were angry? Can't be. That simply can't be. And if we argue that the New Covenant has changed things, and now love is the primary focus, we are still left in a quandary. My premise is when Yeshua came in the flesh, He was God incarnate, and therefore He is without sin, and as the perfect representation of God on earth, I am to try to mimic His behavior. Did Yeshua ever get angry? Indeed. Matthew 21, I think perhaps those in the temple that he whipped and whose tables he overturned might have gotten the idea he was just a little upset. Of course he got angry. He got frustrated. Sadness broke his heart. It's revealed when he overlooks Jerusalem. Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. How I've wanted to to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, and you would not. His heart is broken. He had all these emotions, but was without sin. The psalmist understood this in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Where do you think Paul got his words in Ephesians? The psalmist says, be angry. Do not sin. And then the psalmist encourages us to go to our beds and commune with our own hearts. In other words, meditate. Be still. Be circumspect. And calm down. Paul expands this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. In not letting the sun go down on your anger, exactly what David said, you avoid sin by not giving the devil an opportunity to add to or make your anger even more intense. Because once that happens, the nature of man, we start to plot. Make evil plans. Now, I think Augustine had a much better handle on what our Lord meant. Augustine wrote, the Greek manuscripts do not have the word, the words without a cause as placed here, although the sense itself is the same. I believe what he was saying is that although the words without cause are not written down in this codex, it is the obvious implication, a truth that is, should be held to be self-evident Further, there is one perspective I have not found in all the commentaries and discussions on Matthew five: the Jewish perspective. He's speaking to Jews. It is a perspective utterly rejected by Constantine and most of the Roman Church. Yet it it was included in the Chal, uh, Chal, Chalcedonian. Eastern Orthodox denomination, if you will, of of the church. They did not translate their scriptures into uh, Latin as Rome did. They kept it in the, the Greek from the original codexes that they had. And in their Greek scriptures, the words without cause are retained. As a Jewish man, somewhat well versed in my people's theology and writings, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that the phrase without a cause was included in the original text of the Gospel of Matthew. And in fact, I would argue that the words that were actually used was anger without just cause, because that's a quote from scores of passages in, in my people's writings. The reason I add the word just and the reason my sages add the word just is because whoever is angry has a reason. Nobody gets angry for no reason at all. There's always a reason. It may not be just. It may not be a viable reason, but there's always a reason. So my people add it without just cause, without a good reason. Yeshua was Jewish. We tend to forget that. He grew up in a Jewish environment. He was familiar with the Jewish writings of the first century. The, additionally, the the apostles, especially Paul, were also familiar with the Jewish writings and subsequent to Yeshua's death and resurrection, they understood what the leaders of our people said. They didn't always agree, but they understood. The idea of wanton hatred, or hatred without just cause, plays a large role in Jewish thought. In fact, I've used this many times on the on the uh, mission field. Uh, Paul used it, Peter used it in his first sermon. We took somebody who was innocent. Who is the wanton hatred? Aimed at in the first century, sure. It's hatred without a cause. He did nothing to deserve death. Now, in the tractate Yoma, on the ninth folio, the ninth uh, page—I excuse me, page, not folio—the the sages of my people are more brutal on the first-century high priest's priests, and other religious leaders than even the New Covenant is. I've mentioned this many times, they are brutal. These people bought their offices. There was no lineage back to Aharon. There was no lineage back, they weren't the sons of Zadok. These people, if you had money, you could buy the office. Today it would be like ambassadors. Ambassadors typically give large amounts of money to have the status of being called an ambassador. And the high priest was mainly a, an ambassador of Rome to the Jewish people to try to keep them calm. And sages of my people are brutal on that first century religious leadership. Wanton hatred is a huge deal in Judaism. It's no minor thing. I suspect it's because we were the object of such hatred ourselves in every single country we were exiled to. We're becoming that now. This wanton hatred towards Israel is what? Hatred without a cause. There's no cause. Our sages concluded that the reason for the destruction of the First Temple was, there were three reasons, idolatry, forbidden sexual relations, and the shedding of innocent blood. The, ba, the Baalim and the Ashtarot, the little idols that people kept in their homes, I've discussed this when I was in Judges, these, these household um, uh, Ashtarot, the little, sometimes very large, idols that people kept in their homes, especially in the Northern Kingdom. The forbidden sexual relations, uh, these licentious, this kind of licentious behavior, uh, perversion, that is as foul as anything that we see today in our society, maybe even greater. These are obvious in, in, in the books of Kings, and the books of Chronicles. The shedding of innocent blood used King Menashe as the primary example for this. Second Kings chapter 21, verse 16. Moreover, Menashe shed innocent blood very much until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. And Menashe was crazy. He's bloodthirsty, he is a, a, a proverbial amongst Jews for, for kings that were out of control. And so they asked the question, so why was the second temple destroyed? Certainly we weren't that, and that's true. Jews weren't slaughtering each other in the streets during the first century, forbidden sexual relations for the most part, uh, polygamy was no longer in vogue by the first century. Men had one wife. Women had one husband. <laughs> There's a fullness to that amen. I noticed not one man said anything. I'm just saying it. comes from a man who's not married. In any event, why the destruction of the Second Temple? Certainly I have my feelings on the wanton hatred hatred that was displayed by an utterly and thoroughly corrupt Sanhedrin towards none other than my Lord and Savior, Yeshua. They They don't attach a name to it, but listen to what they write. The Second Temple was destroyed due to the fact that there was wanton hatred during that period. This comes to teach you that the sin of wanton hatred, hatred without a just cause, is equivalent to the three severe transgressions of idolatry, forbidden sexual relations, and bloodshed. That's quite an equation. How angry is God at idolatry, these sexual perversions, shedding of innocent blood? Very angry, and if you put all of them together, it's equal to wanton hatred, hatred without cause. These statements are dramatic statements. They they transmit huge quantities of information to us. Want and hatred is the most egregious sin. Hatred without a, a just cause has a life of its own. We see it manifest in the life of Yeshua. We see it manifest in the life of Israel in exile. We see it manifest in our own personal relationships. It may spring from a single action, but as time wears on, it morphs into something else. It takes on a life of its own and it starts to grow and it eats away at the soul like a cancer and the Lord gave us a prescription for this ailment in Matthew 18 and Luke 17 you go to the fir- person first alone then you bring elders then you bring them to... there was a procedure for resolving this anger To shed anger. Why are we cautioned against anger by the Lord? Again, as you judge, so shall you be judged. As an older man, I am very careful how I judge others. I have not been careful enough. A friend of mine brought to my attention once that I was speaking very poorly about a public figure. And the things that this public figure said were, you know, over the top for me. And I should have remained speechless. Instead, I chose to sin. I said, raka. I didn't use that word, but everything I spoke is translated by one word, raka. In my personal relationships, I look for an opportunity to show grace to those who wish to do evil against me. I'm not very easily offended. If you are, ministry is going to be real hard for you. I've advanced enough in years to learn this truth. My anger towards others affects me far more than it affects that person. It begins to consume the soul, to occupy the thoughts. And I said once before, you know, who is your God? It's easy to tell. What are the first words that spring from your heart in the morning when you wake up? If it's morning, Abba, then your God is God. If it's anything else, your God is whatever that other thing is. That's what's consuming your thoughts, the thoughts of your mind, your heart and your soul. I typically like to, to blow things off. And mostly there these are minor things that really don't amount to much. It's like, whatever okay if my anger cannot be assuaged I will approach them and let them know that they have sinned against me but I endeavor to do so in the gentlest manner to avoid creating further issues it's this gentle answer the soft answer that turns wrath away not the hard one but sometimes you just have to speak And when I have to, I do it to avoid being the one that Solomon speaks about in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18. He that hides hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is kassil, a fool. If I'm angry at someone, people ask me, how you doing? I'm fine. Lying lips. I'm not fine. It's a lie. Today, that is proposed as a good thing. You don't want to make a negative confession. Well, what if it's negative? I, I don't even understand that. Like your confession is going to change reality. It doesn't. If you're angry, be angry. Don't sin. Anger is not the sin. It's what you do with it. To hide anger is to pretend something's not bothering you that is bothering you. But the anger, although suppressed, will eventually be exposed. It'll affect your relationship with that person and other people. It's best to face it straight on when you're in a more reasonable state of mind. If allowed to foment, that, a- that anger will manifest itself as slander, which makes you act like kassil, the fool, the childish. Of course, there's a caveat. My anger does not justify an evil presentation of what I feel someone has said to me. To be gentle, It's required for there to be reconciliation. The longer one remains immersed in unresolved anger, the more that anger will be exaggerated. To exaggerate something is to lie. We like to use the word exaggerate because it doesn't sound as harsh. But if you add to the truth, all you take away from the truth, what does that make the truth? A lie. And lies don't further the kingdom of God or his righteousness. That's why you, James writes in chapter 1, verse 20, the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. To walk circumspectly is to search your heart first and see if there's any evil thing in there. Then when you seek to be at peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see God, you're seeking that with a pure heart. A heart that doesn't seek only your desires, but the desires of the person you're angry with. To listen to them, maybe they got to good reason for what they did. It's called communication. It's really not that hard. We used to do it better than we do it today. Sometimes you will succeed. Other times you won't. And that represents a failure. A life lived in such a fashion we'll find greater peace with God. We all need to be a little more gentle in how we speak to one another, in how we see one another, in how we hold one another in our hearts. If you hold others As precious, you will speak in precious words. They will be sweet, even when angry. Father, in Yeshua's name, I thank you that you have given us instructions that fill the soul not with anguish, but with peace. A way of seeing things that brings your blessed peace down to earth to fill the heart, the mind, and the soul. Let us drink that cup to the dregs that we might fulfill the words of our Lord. May our eyes be upon you always, Lord God, and seek to walk in the path that you have laid out before us. You call it carrying your cross. May we bear that cross in strength and power. Yeshua's precious name, amen.